So would you join me in prayer real quick, and then we will get the performance started. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can come together this evening uh, with our family and friends and just be a body of believers that come to celebrate um, your son um, in his birth. And so uh, we pray you be glorified, that this would be a fresh incense to you, and we just give you all the glory and praise. In your name, amen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in of the whole, entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth of, in, of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of, the, of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. <coughs> An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word, what had happened, what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and found them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things, the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Well, it's Christmas Eve, and we are here, and I'm very happy about that. And I'm very happy to see all of you. Let's, um, let's open in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these kids and the hard work they put into their play. 
thank you for um, their hearts and the leaders, and thank you for the reminders of uh, this thing that happened thousands of years ago that we are still thinking about and wondering about and trying to understand. Lord, show us a little bit more of yourself tonight. Thank you for each and every person here. Thank you for the children in the room. Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to our souls, Father, because we do need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, they said I have 25 minutes, so you're going to get like half a sermon because mine usually take more than that. I even, I even did notes, which I don't usually do. Um, I'm trying to be organized, so I, I can't read them real well because I don't write very neatly. So we're going to set these over here and do the best we can. Um, I was thinking about Christmas and thinking about the, you know, the, the symbols that we use and the, and, and the, the imagery of Christmas, and we have, we have the, these, these kind of constant pictures of what we think of when we think of Christmas. We think of, the, we think of the, a manger and angels and Mary and Joseph and a donkey and a baby, and those are fine. There's nothing wrong with those. That is the story that we get in, the, in Scripture. But I was also thinking about Jesus, when He described Himself, He used very different symbols. And he pointed to one symbol in particular that I, I, it's been on my mind a lot this Christmas season, that he, that he said, I fulfill this. And it's not something that we think about or associate with Christmas at all. But it is actually the symbol that he used to bookend his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry and at the end of the ministry, he called a specific thing to mind and said, that's me. So let's talk about that. And we have to go back before Christ about 1,400 years. Before there was a baby in a manger, there was a baby in a basket. And the baby in the basket was Moses. And a lot of you know the story of Moses and how God provided him to help deliver, the, uh, deliver his people from oppression in Egypt. And he showed this, his hand of uh, mercy and power. And then Moses led the people out of Egypt and God gave them all these great victories and, and um, these victories in the desert, and they had, they had issues too. And one in particular happened, and if you want to turn to it, you can. It's in the book of Numbers. It's in uh, chapter 21. And the, the people are being harassed and oppressed by a king, a, a king that's trying to destroy them. He's taking captives, and he keeps fighting them as they're trying to navigate through the desert. And they pray and ask God, and they say, God, will you deliver us from this king? And he does. And the very next thing that happens, I'm going to read it to you because it's a very strange piece of Scripture. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, 
make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That is a, that is a weird piece of scripture, isn't it? First of all, like, what exactly is a fiery serpent? It's a fair question. Uh, the, the Hebrew words are uh, seraph nahash. And those words don't necessarily mean fire or serpent. They're terrifying words. Seraph is where we get seraphim, the angels that guard the throne of God. It's this, it has to do with fire and light and shining and descending from above and power. So they use that word to describe this thing that they also called nahash, which is a serpent or a snake, arguably. Except that seraph usually have wings, and we have all this ancient Egyptian imagery, including in T King Tut's tomb, serpents with wings. So you could argue, and many scholars have, that these are supernatural, flying, venomous serpents. And the people knew that it wasn't a regular infestation because they right away came to Moses and said, um, we know this is divine retribution from God. We're very sorry. Is there anything you can do? And so Moses prayed, and God gave him that weird instruction of taking the symbol of divine retribution and lifting it up, and that the only way to survive this certain death of these serpents, and it says their bodies were piling up, people were dying, lots of them. The only way to survive was to look to the serpent, which is kind of the opposite of what we think of because we, you know, serpents don't have great connotations in Scripture. They're usually not a good thing. And so why would we talk about something so dark and full of death and fear? Like, it's a, it's a terrifying scene. Why would we talk about that on Christmas Eve? When Jesus started his ministry, when he was just beginning, then there was a, a renowned Jewish teacher who was trying to figure out who Jesus was. And he came to Jesus at night, and he said, who are you? You're something different, something else. What are you doing here? Can you explain it? And Jesus said in John chapter 3, I'm going to read, um, start in verse, start in, uh, verse 13. This is what Jesus said to him. He said, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So imagine this conversation. This, this 
new teacher shows up, this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who's grown up locally, and he's saying things that nobody's ever said before. And, this, and he's doing things that nobody's ever done before. And this scholar, who's a, one of the, the renowned, Nicodemus, who's the renowned teacher of Israel, comes to him at night and says, who are you and what are you doing? And this is what Jesus told him. He said, I come from heaven. You know that serpent Moses lifted up in the wilderness, that symbol of divine retribution that was also the only way to live? That's me. And if you don't get it, then you're condemned. But if you do get it, you can live. That was their conversation. There's a little more to it, but that was one of the main points. And then you go to the end of Jesus' ministry. If you flip a few pages to the right, you go to chapter 12. This is the last public discourse Jesus had before he had the final Last Supper with his uh, disciples. And this is what he said. I'm in 1231. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all the people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Then I'm going to go to verse 44. Jesus cried out, the last public thing he said, and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken my own, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. And then he went off to be crucified. So the symbol that Jesus gives of who he is and what he's doing, the same Jesus that we are celebrating when we think of Christmas, the, the Jesus that was, that was in a manger, the Jesus that has changed all of human history, when he's asked, who are you and what are you doing? He said, remember that serpent in the wilderness? That's me. So let's think about what that could mean. The serpent was a symbol of divine wrath. The serpent was the punishment for sin. The serpents were killing everybody, left and right. The serpents were the, the wrath of God being poured out on a people who had rejected him. And yet, it was lifted up, that picture, as the only way to survive, the only way to live. And Jesus says, that's me. He doesn't, I mean, he uses some other imagery, but that's one of the most striking, because that's who Jesus is. He's, he's the divine wrath of God. But we just read, he said, I'm the wrath of God. I'm the condemnation of sin. I'm the condemnation of sin and sinners, but I'm not here to condemn, even though you're sinners. 
He says, I'm the punishment, but I'm not here to punish. He says, I'm the death, but I'm here so you can live. That's who Jesus is. I mean, we, we, we wear, I'm under my tie that I wear once a year or so, I'm wearing a, a, a symbol of a torture device that Jesus died on because it's comforting to me to look at it. That's what the cross is. Jesus Christ is the wrath of God poured out on man, but not on us. And he goes on to say, after in, in that discourse, after he goes and he talks to his disciples after he finishes that public speech I just read, and he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. He says, there's no other way. So think about those Israelites in the wilderness being plagued by divine, fiery serpents, whatever that means. You don't want to meet them. You know that for sure. And Moses, God's obedience, I don't I imagine Moses was kind of baffled because they didn't make a lot of graven images. That was not something God liked. But he said, take this thing, put it up, and anybody who wants to live has to look at it. They have to look at it. And I bet there were people who didn't. I bet there were people who said they wouldn't. A lot of people died. I bet people had all kinds of problems with what Moses did. But once people got past that and decided they actually wanted to live, that was what God gave them. And he says, look at it. Look at what you're facing. We get this verse in Isaiah that is quoted so often at Christmas time. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you can spend a long time just thinking about those first two lines. Because Jesus also said a son was given. He said God so loved the world that he gave his son. to be the serpent on the pole for us so that we have somewhere to look and live. But I was thinking about that more, and it's, it's a, an extremely personal verse. Let me put it this way. Unto you a child is born. Unto you a son was given. Unto me. A child was born. Unto me, a son was given. If you look at it, if you look at him and recognize what he is, because he said in that last discourse, he said, if you believe in me, you can live. If you don't, there's nothing else for you. So to understand that, that he is, that he's the wrath but he's also the life, that he's the condemnation and the judgment, but he's also the mercy and the grace and the love. And it was given unto me, that son, that son, that son of God was given unto me, not as my son, it's God's son, given to me that I can live. And 
It's hard to look at, isn't it? He's hard to look at. Who wants to look at a symbol of sin and death and divine wrath? But God gave it to us so we can live. And it's supposed to be hard to look at. It's supposed to be hard to look at because it requires acknowledging what's really going on. It requires an acceptance of who you are and what your situation is and what your odds are and what options you have. And the world works really, really, really hard to not look at them. Look at anything else, anything else, anything else. Look, look, at, look at symbols, look at ideas, look at concepts, look at church, look at leaders, look at art, look at church buildings. Don't look at Christ. It's too hard. It's too ugly. And he's going to get harder to look at because as, as we reach the culmination of all things, the stakes are going to get higher and higher and higher. And the people who don't want to look at him, we're told in Scripture, are literally going to choose anything else. They will crawl into caves and beg the mountains to collapse on them so they don't have to see him. But then Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that we who have looked at him will see him and will marvel together. We'll marvel at him. That's the word it uses. We're going to collectively look at him and be melted in place by what we see. And that's how Jesus described himself. That was the symbol that he gave us to consider for his ministry. So unto, unto you, a child's born, unto you, a son's given, if you'll look at him. And if you haven't for a while, and it's easy not to, the whole world is set up so we don't look at him. It's easy not to, but don't let Christmas, don't let all the symbols and the imagery of Christmas, even though they're pleasant and fun and comforting and good, don't, don't let them keep you from looking at Jesus and remembering what he is and what he said he came to do, to bear the condemnation of the world so that we don't have to be condemned, to be the judgment, the divine outpouring of wrath of God so that we can live Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, we, uh, we need you. Lord, I need you. I, I need that, that son given to me, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, that, that I could be counted among yours, Father. Because I don't have any other plan and that each person here could look at you and see that it's personal for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team comes up,
I was, something I was, what's so neat about that, that verse of unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, is scripture tells us that the child is born and the son is given so that we can become children. Did you know that that's how, how God describes us who will look to Christ consistently in scripture? It's children. I think it was um, Charles Spurgeon who said, you, the Christian becomes a man or a woman so that he can learn how to become a child again. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be his children. And Jesus, even in heaven, even as he sits on the throne, is still described as the child of God. He's still called a child. He was a child. He did lay in a manger once upon a time. And he did it so that we can be children alongside him. Let's remember those things as we respond and worship together.